Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com right now and enter discount code BIGMXRADIO20 to save 20% off every single one of your orders. Really appreciate you guys supporting us on that. This podcast is also brought to you by Verb Moto, Wes Williams, and all my friends over there, Slaw Dog. Uh, Troy dog, uh, all the dogs over there, uh, they're killing it. They want you to go to the website. They want you to buy the shirts that are still available that aren't out of stock, uh, of which there are many, which either means they're doing a terrible job of restocking or everyone's doing a fantastic job of buying. I think it's probably the first one. Uh, personally, I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got a very special guest, someone who uh, often comes up in conversation when you're bench racing. You're talking about guys who are coming out of amateurs, uh, highly touted, and then uh, um, just sort of sometimes they they fall off the map a little bit. Sometimes you wonder where these guys go. Today we find out uh, where this guy went. Uh, In Tristan Charbonneau, at one point was the uh, the four. 403 in your program on the the Geico Honda uh, and then uh, went over to Europe now he's a welder fabricator um, in his uh, where he calls home so uh, Tristan Tristan how's it going what's up man Tristan Charbonneau on the Big MX radio podcast it's it's a it's a pleasure my friend it's it's uh, been a long period long time coming uh, I think uh I've watched your segment in, I believe it's War Machines, about 2,000 times. Uh, you have the confidence to hold the your throttle wide open in the sand uh, like I do not do. Um, and, and for that, I commend you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So what, let's uh, let's get straight to it, man. Uh, what the hell are you up to now? Uh, where are you located? Uh, you, you've started a business. That's cool. Most uh, um, most ex pro motocross racers uh, probably uh, have a hard time finding a job, let alone starting a business. Um, what's uh, what, what what's new and exciting with you? Oh uh, well, I mean, I'm just I'm back home in Tonino, Washington. Uh, you know got a shop here and start up a little business it's just me and my own you know owner operator and i pretty much work all day every day last night i just pulled an all-nighter i haven't slept since eight o'clock yesterday morning so i've been working pretty hard on getting a couple trucks done for some customers so just you know trying to get stuff done and make some money and bought a house here and pretty much just settled in right here back home back home sets up shop and uh um, pretty wild transition for you, my friend. Um, like we, we talked about it a little bit off air, uh, welding shop nearby, you find yourself a job, you, uh, you get a little bit of welding experience and figure out, well, welders aren't very smart They're It's easy to do what they do. Of course, kidding. Uh, I could do this myself. I've got a little bit of an imagination as well as the ingenuity to start a business. Um, How'd that, uh, how'd that get started for you? And, and, and how hard was it for you to like sort of develop a customer base? Uh, and what, what kind of projects do you take on mostly? Um, well, starting up, you know, it, it wasn't, it was, it was a little difficult at first, you know, I didn't have much of a clientele. I had a couple mm. guys that brought me a bunch of stuff, but you know, I got my, one of my most loyal customers who brings me a truck every single time I get one done for him and I get one done he brings one right back and over and over again but 
and then I got a few more people that show up here every once in a while and and then I got a, a few clientele, you know, up in Tacoma area doing some, you know, skyscrapers and stuff like that. I go up there and help them fly some beams and put some stuff up for them every once in a while. And then got a few excavator people that need buckets welded that I run out to their job sites and weld up the buckets. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a grind, you know, it's, it's nothing like racing. That's for sure. No kidding. Uh, I was about to say, uh, aside from the, uh, uh, the welds you'd find on subframes or uh, the different parts you'd find on a motocross bike. Uh, this is about as much of a 180 as a, a young man can uh, can experience uh, after uh, dedicating a lot of time, hard, uh, hard time, hard work and effort, probably blood, sweat, tears, and uh, from what I hear, your knee, uh, to dedicating to a motocross career and then uh, spin the clocks forward uh 24 months roughly and uh you've got yourself a fabrication business um like like you said that, that that's a lot there's a lot of work that goes into that and uh you should be uh honestly hats off for being able to do that that's not no small undertaking yeah i appreciate that a lot so uh having uh like followed your career uh through uh, the different video series and how the amateur career or amateur uh, motocross is covered especially in the United States it's very extensive uh, people came to know you quite well uh, especially through the verb moto guys uh, of course they're a, a running sponsor on the podcast they're fantastic we love everybody over at verb um, but where does the this love affair with motocross start for you uh, like what was the motorcycle paint me the picture uh, probably I'm thinking some evergreens of Washington in the background as you approach what kind of bike when, what, what time of year are we talking um jeez man when do I you started, remember it it was it was uh actually my first race was on my birthday when i turned four years old um wow. uh, and it was the funny thing is, is it's the where my shop is right now it's a quarter mile down the road it's the very first track i rode at and raced at and i got last place and i was so happy about it man i got last <laughs> at my first race too yep I got this little piss ant trophy and I was just the most ecstatic kid in the world. Fair and, enough. Uh, you know, from there, you know, me and, uh, at that, at that race, my dad met, um, a few, few people and we started traveling across, you know, to the amateur nationals and started meeting more and more people and, you know, just kind of in groups and traveling around, finding places to go and race and practice and, you know, built us up to a, you know, a place to where, you know, we started to take it more serious, which I wish that it wasn't as serious so quickly in my career. I didn't exactly, I mean, I can't even remember when I enjoyed riding a dirt bike. I, it's, you know, I have had so many head injuries, so it's one of those things where I can't remember a lot, but I remember the little things, but Fair yeah. Enough. And then I uh, started training out at Izzy's, I think when I was 10 or 11. And you know, I was there for a couple of years, came back home for another year, kind of laid off the bikes a little bit on 85s for that year, and then went to GPF, and damn, I think I was there for four or five years, and that's really when everything started to come into place with the career side of it, and, uh, you know, it, from there on forth, it's pretty much factory rides, hell of a lot of hard work, and a lot of heartbreak, and yeah, it was, you know, just a 
short, sweet, but definitely a hell of a good time. Hell yeah. Like, uh, um, some, some really like coming through, like you, you had some really, really interesting times, especially racing, uh, with the Amsoil amateur team, like great bikes, uh, hooked up gear wise. Like, like it's, it's kind of like every, like most kids, especially like when I was growing up, like that's what you dream of. Right. Uh, and, and not to say there's not a lot of hard work that comes along with it. Of course, that's, that's an element of it as well. Um, but like my, my first question to you, like you, you seemed like, like things got serious right away and you traveled right away from motocross, which is something that I feel is like uniquely, uh, American about the sport, like here in Canada, especially where I'm at, like we have our local provincial series. Of course you guys have smaller States, but so like traveling from state to state is a little bit more practical because for me to go to the next state or next provincial race is like a six to eight hour drive minimum. And like they just run a completely different scenario than we do, whereas I guess everything sort of might be more AMA centric uh, in the states. Like, how does it? Why, like, why is it that the Americans seem so gung ho to like? Oh, like I started racing, and that year we went to Ponca, even though you you're from Washington. Like, <laughs> how does that? How does that happen? You know, I, it's hard to understand how that happens. You know, I mean. A lot of these, you know, younger kids nowadays, when they go to their first race, they, you know, their family meets someone and, you know, they say, oh, yeah, we're going to this amateur race. And, you know, they, they go, hell, well, we're going to go try to qualify for Loretta's, even though we've been only riding dirt bike for three months, you know. And yeah. That's like, either that's way, they go qualify and they go. But, you know, you me. think of all the traveling you do, it's crazy. Yeah, like I, I that I, I always hear these stories of like, yeah, we I started racing at like when I was nine, and like we, that that was the first year I went to Loretta's. Whereas like for me, I'm I like I didn't even like I'd been racing. I started racing when I was nine at fourteen years old on one twenty fives. It wasn't even like a foggy thought in my mind that uh, that I would want to travel to Redbud and then try and qualify to go to another. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. Uh, but like maybe that's just that's why you guys are different. That's why you guys uh, obviously have that much uh, talent and stuff like that. So you you start taking things seriously. Uh, like who are your main competitors? Who are you racing with on a regular basis coming through the ranks? And, and I assume this is like uh, Washington, like just below uh, British Columbia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, man, it was. I mean, really, when I when I was coming up racing here I mean, really the the people we rode with i mean there was darian sanai obviously he was up from monroe and we met him early okay when i started racing and traveling around with him uh it was chris aldridge that's probably a name you haven't heard in a while yes uh, i do have one of his jerseys from pro circuit days oh yeah <laughs> there you go um who else was there i mean there there, there really there wasn't there wasn't that many that that many names that that can spark my mind, you know, from out of this state, you know, that that I could, I really really had a big battle with. I, I I forgot a lot of the guys that I ever raced with, even as well too. I mean, back then. Yeah, they were probably a mile behind you anyway. So how could you remember? <laughs> yeah. But were were you like an amateur, like an eighty phenom? Like you like were you like really fast on sixty fives? Like basically like just every, every like local races. Just see you later. No, I mean all the 
fifties, sixties, I wasn't, I wasn't really that killer on a bike. I mean, I was kind of a squid, but you know, we built bikes and were able to go decently fast. And, uh, but once, once I got on eighties and I started training at Izzy's, that's when I really started to get some speed because Nario, you know, chewed my ass way too much. Okay. Fair enough. There. What's, uh, like lace some, uh, some Izzy stories on me. I need to. Uh, I need to get get like. I need to uncover like your best Izzy story, and then I need at least two or three Josh Wood stories out of you because like Josh Woods actually raced the first uh, Canadian national that I ever watched up here in uh, up here in Manitoba, and I was a huge Woodrow fan for the longest time after that. <laughs> well, Nario at his training facility, you know, he's, he's an old school Italian guy, man. And I mean, that man, he's just all about hard work, you know? And it was, it was so funny thinking back how, you know, we used to train there and, you know, there was, there was, you know, names like Tanner stack and, you know, okay. a couple other kids that were there training. And I mean, every day it was wake up, ride, hop in Nario's truck, go down to the gym. He'd run with us. He'd lift weights with us. You know, he'd, then he'd, we'd swim. We'd go in the sauna and then wake up again the next day and, you know, do it all over again. You know, every night Nario's got a glass of wine in his hand walking around the track or either. He's, I mean, sometimes he was on the tractor with a glass of wine in his hand. I mean, <laughs> you know, hey, plowing and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um Woodsy Woodsy was always just an awesome guy to me. He he always took care took care of me. Uh, I mean, I, I I it's so hard for me to remember all these times. I I kind of put it all in the past. It's hard to bring it all back in one second. But sorry, I man. Just remember all all the all the times that uh you know me and Mitchell Harrison would build pit bike tracks, and I'd I'd hop in the Bobcat at GPF and go and build a few jumps in the woods. And, Josh would come back there and chew our ass because we were digging holes in the woods with the bobcat and building these big jumps and stuff. <laughs> you know, he'd be like, why do you guys keep doing this and ruining all the property? <laughs> we're like, well, we're, we're bored, man. Come on, give us, give us something to do. So we guys can go train. <laughs> no, no, Woods was an awesome guy and his family, you know, Ray Woods and his wife, Terry, they, they took care of me and Mitchell and everybody else who was always there. So what what was the uh, the scenario like when you're down there? Like uh, um, you're in GPF, of course. That's uh, Cairo, Georgia, right next to um, MTF. Uh, how much of cross, like kind of cross, like how much does like sort of like the the lines bleed a little bit there? Um, but also like um, like what's the living accommodations like? I've never been to one of those facilities. I want to go to one one day just to check them out. Um, but like, uh, what's, what was sort of the living scenario, like school scenario, if there was school scenario, like how, how easy was it to like shirk your school situation? (laughs) Um, and like, how do you get bikes, parts and everything else? Like, is that all just paid for by, I guess like your parents pay like a a flat rate or just hook up the, the, the credit card and, and go man go. Like, how does it work? Well, uh, over at GPF. I mean, well, none of us ever did school there. That's plain and simple. Wow. Now I think now at GPF, I think now at GPF, um, they have a, they actually have school teachers now for yeah, because they the do the, are, yeah. the thing like Michael Lieb's mom does the 
yeah. thing. Yeah. Anyway, whatever that is. But yeah, you just but didn't I, do I, school. I, you just like fucked around with bobcats and hit bikes. Yeah. yeah you can swear on this, by the way. I don't. I don't know if you want to or not. Oh, but you can. Yeah. It perfect. Matter. I've been waiting for that. All yeah. right. Well, <laughs> now I'm sidetracked. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No. It, I mean, it was. It was. It was kind of a. You know, it was just a good time. And then, you know, they uh, had shops at GPF that you could rent, you know, and we had a little shop, you know. Uh, I lived in a motorhome, like uh, Mitchell Harrison, he had a cabin. And a couple other people had cabins on the property. That's bougie. Um, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's I mean, it's a nice homey place to train at, though. That, that was the nice part about it. It didn't feel like you were out in the middle of BFE, you know, with nowhere to go. I mean, it didn't really matter. The back roads, there's no one on them anyway. So if you just hopped in a car at 14 years old, you can pretty much just run down to the corner store and grab yourself some drinks and some food. So, I mean, it wasn't too much of a, too much of a problem living there. Fair I enough. So all, all of that, just like you, like you have like dad's credit card or like, or like, is you have your own money? Like, how does that work? Um, the first year I was there, my dad helped me out with it. And then after I started, you know, I went up to two fifties with Yamaha and I started making more money in amateurs. Um, I started paying for a lot of my own stuff. And then obviously once the Amsoil thing came along, that was all on me at that point. Yeah. That, that's pretty wild though. Like, 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 but like, so when you're with you and you're with Amsoil, like what percentage of what you're making with Amsoil is going towards your, your training? Like, or, or do they cover it? How does that work? Oh, it was pretty much absolutely all, all of it that I was making from them was going towards training. Really? So you basically just yeah, like, was... you're, they're handing you a check and you're just handing it over to GPF. Let's go fast on dirt bikes. Well, I mean, GPF's not an extraordinarily expensive training facility like MTF is. I mean, okay. it doesn't cost but a few thousand dollars a year to train there. I mean, MTF is way out of the ballpark, like, thinking about it now i would i wouldn't yeah no <laughs> no no hurt against them mts is a great facility and they have a lot of great trainers and everything you know and they have a lot of tracks and equipment and everything but you know they have their way of doing it and gpf has their way of doing it even though they're just a fence apart you know yeah that's totally wild like like do you was there like you were you hanging out with the guys on the other side of the fence or it was just almost like another world oh yeah you you there, there was there's a gate between i mean you could walk through it but colleen didn't ever like anybody really ripping through there so i'd always just hop on my pit bike go down to the road ride down the road and then pull into the mtf entrance and go down there and hang out with all them and go swim in the pond and stuff like that fair enough fair enough um so how long were you on uh on amsoil i'm just I'm i'm literally on your instagram right now on my laptop uh 300 weeks ago 324 3, 323 weeks ago to be exact you uh you 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 announced to the world that you're on uh amsoil and then uh, i guess it's been a couple of years since you raced uh full-blown pro um so at, at what age are you here are you 16 years old 17 15 16 years old 250s what would that be that was 2014 right i suppose so yeah it was I the end of so. 14 so i was i was 16 yeah august august of uh of 14 
Yep, I was sixteen. Just a kid, just uh, just a kid, <laughs> and just dragged head to toe in your latest <laughs> and greatest from uh, Ast- uh, Alias, a gear brand that has somehow uh, gone off the face of the earth. Um, never really, I, like completely unrelated. Never a big fan of that gear. I don't know about you. I I don't think there was a single kit that I was like, yeah, I like that. You know the the kits, the 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 designs they had. I mean, they they weren't all that bad. They could have been a hell of a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, once I got onto Geico and the gear that they had made for us, it was all you know vented through. I mean, it weighed nothing, and it had you know all everything printed into it. That was the most comfortable gear I've ever worn in my life. Like if I could wear that jersey as a T-shirt every day, I would. Just okay, so the sublimated cool. stuff was was nicer. Oh yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that, that makes more sense. Because um, I was I was interested to find that out. Like it's uh, like going from like in, in amateurs. Like obviously the bike's a little bit different, as well as uh, the like a lot of things are different. But it's interesting to think that like you get to the pros and they they hand you a different set of gear than they would have handed you at Loretta's when you're at, you go to your first national or something like that. And um, so. Three, I believe, two, at least two or three full years. You're on the Amsoil team. Uh, you rode number sixty-nine. If I believe that's for Loretta's one particular year. Um, interesting yep. move. Uh, you know well, the funny part about. Oh, sorry ahead. to stop you there, but the funny part about that number is, is, I was living in California with my first mechanic on the Amsoil Geico team, mm-hmm. um, Sean, and. I set up my, my whole Loretta's thing that year, and I put in the numbers, 21 for my first pick, 16 for my second, and I couldn't come up with anything for my fir- third, so I just put 69. And I figured, oh, I've had six, number 16 for the last 12 years at Loretta's. How am I not going to get it? And what did I get? 69. <laughs> Everybody's Love like, it. why'd you pick 69? And I'm like, dude, I didn't exactly like pick it. <laughs> but I got it. <laughs> I, I sort of picked it, but not not at all intentionally. That's hilarious that you got like it. Not, like a, yeah, it was like a laugh, you know, like oh, I picked sixty nine. <laughs> hilarious. Funny actually, it is. Uh, funny story about how Roger DeCoster came to run number sixty nine back in the seventies. Is he was supposed to have sixty eight, and he was on the phone with the AMA lady. And he sort of tongue in cheek said, "Can you switch it to 69? And she did. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I thought that was pretty fun. Um, and and yeah, he went on to uh, be probably the at least the second most uh, famous guy to ever run that number. Uh, you might be third to uh, uh, Ronnie Mack <clears throat> uh, in, in the number one <laughs> spot. Um, so coming through like amateurs, like like how how is it set up? Like like you were part of the, the, the era where you didn't like the, your sort of group or your, your graduating class, you guys didn't race a lot. Like there wasn't a lot of races that you went to on an annual basis. Uh, obviously there's like, there's monster cup and you go to, uh, you you qualify for Loretta's, you do Loretta's as well as, uh, minios maybe uh i don't know if you would have done ponka or not but like it's probably it's it's a very restrictive select events sort of thing and then all of a sudden you race pro and you're racing every other weekend and it's with the fastest of the fast guys was that a good 
setup for you? Yeah, I mean, during the amateur, you know, the last couple of years of amateur, I mean, it was actually pretty much through my whole amateur career, it was pretty much, you know, you'd start off, you'd do the, do the year at, you know, you'd start off doing a couple of qualifiers at the beginning of the year in February when they started, and then you'd hit Oak Hill, Freestone, mm. and, um, and then you'd do your regionals, and then well, there was a couple more nationals in there somewhere. Well, there was, yeah, there was, there was a few more races in between there somewhere. Hard to remember that. Um, I never did really go to Ponca. I went to Ponca back when I was on 50s and 65s. Okay. But after that, we kind of quit going there just because the NMA thing was kind of weird. But, uh, but yeah, it was mostly just the, the Texas races and, uh, yeah, Loretta's wasn't anything too crazy. Hmm. But yeah, getting into the pros, I actually, I actually liked going every weekend. That was, it was it was fun to be able to go out and you know every single weekend hop on a flight on you know Thursday or Friday night and get out there grab the bike race and go home and then do it all again the next weekend going somewhere else you know yeah absolutely you get into uh, into a uh, the swing of things you're one of the guys that uh, unfortunately had to go through the road to Supercross something that. Um, a lot of fans and media alike like me kind of rolled our eyes at uh, a lot of raised eyebrows at uh, some of the stories that would unfold. Um, from my recollection, you ended up uh, sending somebody over the berm and uh, into, I believe it was the fifth row um, at one of your, uh, one of your, your, one of your arena cross races. Why did you do that? And, um, and can you tell me the story? Uh, it was a lapper. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, was, That's all you had to say. In the way. He needed to get the hell out of the way. So, and he tried cutting down on a corner, and I was cutting to the inside, and pretty much just smacked the shit out of him. Fair that was enough. About the end of, I mean, I went down too in the process. I was going to say, you were on the ground as well. Uh, not exactly how you dry things up, but uh, yeah, that's how you got your, uh, your... Is that how you get Supercross points, is by taking lappers and sending them into the cheap seat. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, thinking about it now, if I could, you know, taken out more people in my career, not let alone just lappers, but just, just been a little bit more aggressive to people and probably would have had a hell of a lot more fun. Fair enough. But, which, which of your no, former Amsoil teammates would you have liked to punt harder? Uh, uh, RJ Hampshire or... Jordan Smith. Just between those two? Just between those two. Or unless There's you have like an axe to grind with somebody else. I'd have to go with Christian Craig. Christian Craig. Yeah. That's that you went off the map. Why Christian Craig? I have to have an answer. He's not coming up to Washington to give you shit. You have to give me an answer now. Oh, I just I just, you know, it was always. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're here. We get we're we're going through it. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm you're a welder now, dude. Little, so, so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter what I say. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So, we're gonna jump ahead to my two weeks before Hangtown, okay. right? You obviously read the post on Blazers thing, where I said, you know, I checked out thirty seconds on him at the practice track, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I when I when Marshak signed me two weeks before Hangtown, 
Christian said, oh, I'll take Tristan under my wing and show him the ropes and take him to the test, you know, to the test track and do motos with him. And we went to Glen Helen one day and we were pretty close together, you know, in times and we did three thirties and, uh, we went to Paula the next day and did three thirties again. We're pretty close on times again. Actually that day I totally wasted myself in the last, in the third 30 minute moto and I had to pretty much just barely even crawl across the line at the end of it. Love it. We went to Milestone the next day, and uh, I don't know what got in, what got into me, but I was we went out for our timed practice thing, you know, and I was two seconds a lap faster, and uh, <laughs> and so they started me thirty seconds behind them for the moto, you know, and on the first lap of the first 30 plus two, you know, and we had, we had all of our Geico team out there. We had, you know, Kibby and, uh, cause and the suspension, you know, all the suspension guys and stuff. And they were all timing, you know, lap the, you know, milestones pretty much the lap time or stopwatch nationals. So you got everybody right. out there with their stopwatches and first lap, I go into the first, first corner at milestone. It was a left-hander and I ripped off my shroud and my radiator. Luckily the, the hoses held on to the radiator. So I wasn't leaking any fluid, but the shroud and the radiator were just flopping around for 30 minutes straight. And with that, I managed to catch Christian, pass him 30 seconds behind him. I caught him, passed him, pulled 15 seconds on him. I did that three motos in a row. I actually ripped the shroud off the first time we went out and the last time we went out. I don't know how I ripped it off two times in one day or the shroud and the radiator. They were kind of weird about that. But hmm. after that day, Christian Craig unfollowed me on Instagram. Same with his wife. <laughs> Even Jagger unfollowed me on Instagram. That's amazing. And... Well, no, Paige through Jagger, <laughs> which is petty and small, but hilarious. Yes, it is hilarious. I, I, okay. I've always wanted to tell this story. Yes, please and, do. And then they, they just never ever really talked to me again they were always just super petty against me and it was just awkward really weird so that's why if there was one person on the team i could take out really hard to be him fair enough <laughs> just like same thing he did to troll train at uh, i don't know which supercross it was first round of of uh, east coast uh, a couple of years ago just like see you later uh ruin his year um yeah, I could see that. Uh, honestly, full disclosure, I um, I, I had to block both Paige and uh, Jagger on um, on Instagram, not because I've ever had any communication with either one of them. I just find them extremely annoying. Oh yeah, just you you scroll and you you hit the little uh, magnifying glass, and all of a sudden yeah. all you see is Paige Craig and Jagger Craig all over the feed, so you just have yeah, to like I, just, I don't want to see it anymore. So I was like, that's it, I'm done with this kid. Um, like, I don't, I don't care, and I think that her posts are extremely fake, so I just leave it be. Yeah, well, that was I mean, that was my best way reality, of. Yeah, I mean, in all reality, every time I ever went over to their house, all she was doing was getting drunk on Fireball, and the kids were upstairs screaming. So there you go um and, and and that is a way to approach things um if if uh, if that's how you want to do it so um how did geico uh sort of uh, like obviously you're doing 30s you're uh um 
being brought into the fray when you 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 turn pro at Hangtown, and actually that's probably like Hangtown is probably where people know you more than anything, because you came out like a house on fire. If I'm not mistaken, might have even if not got a whole shot, but like we're riding up front from the very beginning. Um, but how did Geico sort of like move you over from having Amsoil on your graphics to having Geico on your graphics? Like how, what was that project? What was that uh, like progress like for you? Do they sort of like, uh, like one day you're on the Amsoil bike and then the next weekend you're on a, a fire breather that uh, goes a whole lot hell faster or how does that work? Well, I was actually supposed to go pro at the end of Loretta's 2015 when I was, so, so when I was number 69 at Loretta's, that was my last year at Loretta's and I was supposed right. to go pro. Okay. They said, if you win, you know, one year classes, you're going to go to Unadilla. So in the 450 class, I, I, I blew it in the 250 class. I went, I had like six, the first mode on fifth, the second mode or something like that. But in the 450 class, I went one, two and in the hmm. third moto, I was in first place. Let me backtrack a little bit. Before the before the third moto in the 450 class, me and my mechanic went down the the you know the the testing area, I guess you can call it, to you know okay. do a couple starts and bike. And I told him, I said, "Man, I hear this weird ticking coming from it." He's like, "Man, I can't hear it." And, you know, he kept revving it up and checking. He's like, "I don't hear anything." I said, "Dude, there's something ticking." He's like, "Well, you want to do a motor swap? We got 30 minutes before the motor." I'm like nah screw it, it'll be fine you know if you don't hear nothing screw it and uh i went Famous out last words. Pulled the whole shot was in first place with two laps to go i was checked out on taft by like 15 seconds so at that moment i knew oh hell yeah i'm gonna win this championship we're gonna go to unadilla this year it's be badass two laps to go the bike starts flubbering and the thing, I mean, I was wide open and the thing would barely even go anywhere. And it blew one of the valves at the top of the head. And that was the end. That was the end of that. And when I got back to the truck, Jeff Marshak said, ah, well, that sucks. We're not going to Unadilla this year. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, really? Like, I was just about to win. He didn't win. I'm like, what? <laughs> that was kind of an odd thing, so... Yes, um, yes, it is. Especially because, yeah. like, I, I'm always curious when it when it comes to a problem with the motorcycle, how much they blame the rider. Yeah, I don't know how I could have been blamed for that. I mean, I, I even said there was something wrong with the bike before the moto. I mean, granted, my mechanic was an awesome mechanic. I would, I'm not taking that away from him at all. Um, but you know, there was there was something wrong with that bike, and. You know, I'm a rider. Obviously, I know I I know a motorcycle when I hear something. You know, we, we all do. Oh yeah, um, no, you, you've spent more time but, but yeah, it, it, on two wheels than I've spent always... driving in my life. Yeah, <laughs> but it, just, that that the whole time I was with that team, it just seemed like a game, man. I mean, anyways, back to back to the Amsoil bike to the Geico bike thing, right? Uh, so. Like I was saying, uh, two weeks before Hangtown, so actually technically three weeks before Hangtown, Marshak, you know, pulled me to the side and said, "Hey, we're not sure if Malcolm's going to be racing outdoors this year, so start getting ready for outdoors." Three and I was weeks. like, "What? Yeah, Twenty-one days? Okay, like, all right, yeah, all right, yeah." Like I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, if Malcolm wins the championship this weekend at Vegas. I don't think he's going to race outdoors." So. Malcolm wins the championship Sunday night. 
Marshak texts me, says, come to the shop in the morning, you're signing your pro contract. So I signed my pro contract. Me and John, the trainer at Geico, started kicking ass in training for a solid two weeks. Which does nothing, by the way. Went... What? Well, like, like the, the, you cannot make any physical gains in two weeks that would be noticeable two weeks from now. Not like solid on your well, efforts, but all, like no. you know what I mean. Like that's like um, yeah. for everybody that's ever done a set of sit ups to look down and 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 try and see if they have abs. Like that's basically the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, let me do fifty sit ups. I'm gonna have abs after it. You know. Yeah, it's like doing seven minutes abs. <laughs> exactly. So you but did yeah, the my, the I, outdoor prep of seven minute abs. Yep, pretty much. With okay. a mix of like Mountain Dew, quesadillas, and a shitload of Xbox. That's so awesome. you can't forget about that. Like, were you playing Reflex? Uh, no, I was a modern. How much Reflex guy. have you played in your life? You know, to be honest with you, I I hated dirt bike games. Really? What games I, did you like? I then? despised them because they just were not realistic enough. Oh, like fair. if there was one game, one motocross game I loved was MX Unleashed, the very first, you know, not not the very first one, but the second one. Fair enough. I think that I was, have that here on PS2. Yeah. Yes, I have PS2 a PS2. Is what it was. But anyway. Yeah. So your yeah. your 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 Mountain Dew, chicken quesadillas, Xbox. Uh, a, a variety of games without mentioning motocross games. Uh, and then you're, you're getting ready to, to, to turn pro at Hangtown. And, and meanwhile, um, getting, getting unfollowed by the Craigs. Yes. So technically not training like I should have been getting unfollowed by the Craigs and then going out and finishing sixth in the first moto. Boom. That's pretty good. <laughs> Like it's like yeah, it was pretty much talent. Like you had a, you had a national number after your first weekend of racing. That's pretty damn good as a as a rookie. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was it was it was it was one of those things where I went to Hangtown going, holy hell, I'm gonna suck. And okay. I qualified sixth practice, and everybody was ecstatic on the team. They're like, no way, you just qualified sixth, and I'm like, no way, I just qualified sixth. Yeah, you're you yeah. know. You didn't believe your own press clippings. No, no, I, it, it, it was crazy to think. I mean, if, you know, I think if I would have actually worked harder, you know, cause when I got on the Geico team, I was like, shit, I made it, dude, I'm done. Like I, I'm good to go, you know? And the, the, the hard work ethic of me kind of just disappeared. And that's one thing I regret in my racing career was that, I mean, now, you know, it's something to laugh about, you know, say, oh, well, I, I fucked up, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now. But, you know, thinking about it, thinking back to it, it's kind of hilarious. I mean, you think of a, of an 18-year-old kid who, you know, barely trained. I mean, mm-hmm. you got, like, let's say, you know, let's take this for instance. Me and Chase Sexton, when, just before I went pro, um, you know, Chase could do, 45 minutes on the rowing machine at, I don't know if you know what I mean by this, but at 145 was what our trainer wanted us to stay at for 45 That's low. minutes straight. That's super low. Yep. And Chase at what kind of interval are you talking like, like for, for, for two, for 500 meters, 
like uh, two minutes, two mi- sub two minutes. No, forty-five minutes. No, I know, but like, like how fat? Like, what what pace is he at? Like five hundred oh. meters for, like, is he is he still is he going at a pretty five, decent clip? Five, I think it was five hundred for one forty-five. That's fucking fast. That's stupid yeah. fast. And I couldn't even do like ten minutes on that rowing machine. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I never, I never really trained when I was when I was doing that, and that that was one of the things that Marshak told me when they let me go is that they wished I would have worked harder, harder, you know. And did they you know, say to work harder? Like, was this something that they were like, "Hey, man, pick up your socks," or you know, they actually never really said anything to me. Okay. They never, they never said you need to work harder. They were just they like hoping just you like, were going to get it through your brain telepathically. Like you're yeah, like a mind reader. Living with his mechanic in California, having the time of his life is just going to go, yeah, I need to work a little harder, you know? Hmm. Fair. Yeah, I mean, okay. You know, it's it, it just, it was, it was a good time. I'll tell you that when I, when I lived there having, you know, being able to run around, you know, Southern California, hanging out with my buddies and, you know, going out and riding that fast ass bike. That was a good time. No kidding. Yeah. Like uh, it was just the, the horniest bikes and you're <laughs> 17, 18, uh, you're a professional motocross racer. Uh, you can say that on your Tinder bio. Um, and yeah, that's, that, that just sounds like a lot of fun and you, in, and you happen to have, uh, yeah, like, like it's not like, like, I, I liken that to like, I'm from Canada. I don't know if you know that, but I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where like we have the Western, we have like the Canadian hockey league. That's where all the junior kids play. It's from like 16 to like the overagers are as old as about 20. And like literally like girls follow them wherever they go, but they literally live in like ass fuck nowhere, Saskatchewan, which is a province here. Um, <laughs> And, like, the girls will literally follow the guys, like, right back to the hotel. And, and they're, like, the big man on campus here in Canada. I can only imagine take that scenario and plunk it into Southern California. Um, that's a recipe for for fun and disaster. Man, there's a different girl in my place every weekend. <laughs> okay. And they didn't mind that I mean, you what, had, like, what, the kind of, like, what? the weird Bieber, like like, long hair thing going on? Oh yeah, I had long hair, just scraggly ass, you know. I mean, all you gotta say is, "Oh yeah, I read for Geico Honda," and they're like, "Oh my god, my panties just disappeared." Weird, and I'm <laughs> I'm surprised they were wearing any to begin with. Um, so that right. that like, thank you for confirming uh my yeah, my sure. my curiosity that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like seriously, like these you you guys are super young kids, and you're you're fast as all hell. You've always been super fast, and uh, yeah, like I, I I don't blame you for for not like kind of wicking things up, especially when like you also you had the speed. Like the biggest thing, like like the thing with motocross, is you can be as fit as you want to be. You can be like an absolute animal on a mount on a on a on a bicycle, but if you don't have the speed, if you can't hold the throttle open the way you need to it doesn't matter you need to be able to put those times in and uh obviously if uh with a touch more fitness maybe you chase down the 17 machine uh of cooper webb and uh and and, like there's the story is a little bit longer but um like honestly the fact that you were able to do what you did 
um, and uh, and have a pretty successful season in your rookie season. Uh, I was surprised that Geico didn't keep you. I'm sure there's some politics that way. Uh, but what was that summer like for you? I mean, it was it was just a really good time. I mean, all all of well, I mean, it was you know obviously the first two nationals went all right until I broke my collarbone. But, True. Uh, you know, after that, you know, after that, it was kind of, I, I actually, after I got surgery, I got surgery on a Friday. I took a whole week off and the next Monday I went out, grabbed my bike and did one lap. And I said, okay, I'm not ready yet. Went out the next Monday, did two laps. Nope. Not ready yet. Did that four weeks in a row. And then I finally said, you know what? I'm good enough to go race. And then I went to Millville. It was my first race back. And, uh, I pulled a third place start. I believe it was a Mart, Jimmy D and then me on the first lap. And I was behind Jimmy D in one of those stupid chicane corners. Okay. And he went down in front of me going, you know, where it drops off down a hill. Yep. He, he tucked the front in front of me. So I went right over his bike endoed, and then my bike decided to obviously take off down the hill going end over end. And, I, you know, it, the, the crappy part about it was is this was my first race back from a collarbone injury. I need to somewhat prove that I still have my speed. And, I, I, you know, and I'm third place on the first lap. So I'm like, hell yeah. And then Jimmy D bites the dust in front of me, which makes me bite the dust. Hmm. Bends my subframe down to my, you know, rear tire. Slaps my bars down to my fucking shrouds. And there goes that moto, you know. Fucking and then Jimmy all D. of a sudden I'm back. <laughs> fucking Jimmy D. <laughs> but, uh. But yeah, no, it was, it, and then you know, from there on, it was twentieth place, eighteenth place, sixteenth place. You know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get that speed back in me. It wasn't, you know, I, it's not like I was afraid to go fast or anything like that. I just couldn't, couldn't get it back for some reason. You know, I guess everybody else that season, you know, they were already prepped into racing. You know, in the outdoors. Oh yeah, you stepped on a treadmill at hundred miles an hour. <laughs> Pretty much. So. Yeah, you, you stepped on the on the treadmill. It bit you. You hit you like Jimmy D was laying on the treadmill. You trip over him, um, mm-hmm. and even though he's five foot three, um, and uh, side note, Jimmy D actually raced my KX two fifty two stroke when he was like kind of. It would have been before this actually, uh, back in thirteen when he was racing Canadian. Uh, won every <clears throat> every pro moto locally. Um, that's the fastest my dirt bike's ever gone, proving that it's not the technology holding me back. That was a sobering feeling. <laughs> um, that way, it was bad. Seriously, I was like, all this time, like I'm on a 2005 KX 252 stroke. It has to be the problem. That's why I'm not any good at all. And then he won every pro moto by like 45 seconds, proving to me that I was very. I, I, I'm. Uh, I'm not very good. Uh, I did win my first race though, this week, this this last summer, uh, ever in in all of racing. Oh. Yeah, thank you for the congratulations. Um, Congrats! Yeah, hell yeah. Um, plus twenty five B class, man. Go, don't fuck, don't fuck with me. Hey. Um, but uh, okay, so how does like okay, how does it work? Obviously, going you you have a contract probably through September, but as soon as the last race is done, like. Uh, hey, you're not coming back next year. Uh, give us our bikes. Give us like you don't have a mechanic anymore. Um, you stop getting like laundry bags full of 
full of free gear. Um, like, do you return stuff? Like, how does it work? Like, I, like when you end up a, end a, a contract like that, um, and then uh, oddly enough, you never got to run a uh, a national number in the in the states, which is fucked. Yeah, it is. Um, but like, what uh, number no, did you earn? They, I mean, they, 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 Marshak called me and fired me, you know, on Thursday after Glenn Helen, after my surgery, told me he was picking, you know, told, well, he didn't tell me he was picking up J Mart, but obviously I knew, mm. you know, that that was the obvious reason that they're going to, you know, pull up J Mart and pay him way too much money to be there. Um, so, you know, they got rid of me and then by about Washougal, you know, Marshak comes back again and says, oh, hey, uh, Jordan's leaving. He's going to Troy Lee, and uh, we got a spot open, so if you want to go ahead and prove yourself for us, uh, we'll sign you again. And okay. that was like, really? You know? So then, you know, obviously at the end of the season, uh, I think I had, yeah, it was a month after the season. October 1st was where my contract ended. So I had, you know, I had bikes and mechanics and everything until October 1st. But that day was the day that you brought, you know, the bikes back. And, you know, I guess I, I, you know, grabbed a couple extra backpacks before I left and some socks and a couple hats, of course. But, uh, fair enough. Do you have any, do you have any, uh, like Geico jerseys from back in the day? If so, I need one. I have, I have, I think I have one or two left. Damn it. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to deplete your, your memories, but like this is probably one of the most like interesting interviews I've had in the last like probably year or so plus, just because of the yeah. the interesting stories. I I'm, I I need to have some sort of a, a memento from this. This is fantastic. Um, but yeah, so go on. You you you're you're filling you're stealing backpacks and whatnot. Yeah, pretty much just stock the uh, stock the backpack backpacks and bags full of everything I possibly could. Okay. And uh, and then, you know, the, uh, the the one mistake I made was going to Europe. I'd say that was, that was other than not training, that was my biggest mistake was going Weren't to Weren't you supposed to race Supercross for like a uh, Husqvarna team oh, or was, something? No. I was I was Who supposed was to race the first four rounds with Bud Racing. That's I do, you know, right. I rem- yeah, because I I went to Supercross in seventeen, and I saw you at I think we were at trying to get into the San Diego. Yeah, it was San Diego Supercross. And yeah, yeah I saw you. I, I saw you, like there's that big that kind of like the where everyone waits for to go to on track block. I saw you there, and that was the only time I saw you all year. Huh. Yeah, no, I. Those bikes were such piles of shit that mm. I was so scared to ride a supercross track on that bike that I told them I wasn't racing supercross for them. That's upsetting. I went out the the second day I rode their bike, it seized up in midair on a triple. Hmm. And then four days later, another time, new motor seized up again. I I. When I rode for Bud Racing, I blew up 16 motors. That's 16 more motors than I've seized up in my life. Wow, <laughs> 15. That's 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 between. I mean, think an eight month span, and you know, it was like in Russia. 
when I was in Russia, I was on the starting gate. I started my bike. The guy put up the 32nd card and my bike seized up sitting on the starting gate. That, that <laughs> I mean, seems premature. How often does that happen? It's just you're sitting there, you know, and all of a sudden you just boom. And you're like, what the hell? You got to kick it and the start and the kick kickstart won't won't move. You know? Wow. That's that's over the top. Like like it they were interestingly appointed motorcycles. Obviously Bud Racing's doing the suspension. You got HGS uh exhaust pipes, neck and bars when no one ran neck and bars. Um yeah, very interesting setup. Uh, you were able to pull off a, a first in uh, in a moto. At, at is that Mexico? Where the hell is that? Portugal? No, it was Russia. Is, oh, no, I I won I won Portugal. I went one yeah. one at Portugal. That's cool. And then I won a second moto in Russia after my bike blew up huh. on a stock motor. Um, and then I won in Switzerland. One and I went one one in Switzerland as well. Actually, after. After Russia, I I told them I want stock motor and stock suspension on my bikes. So the rest of the season, I ran a stock motor and stock suspension. Fair enough. Their suspensions, their motors kept blowing up. Hmm. And and also that that same light feeling that your jerseys had from uh, all the sublimated stuff from uh, Geico. I'm looking at a uh, a TLD jersey with uh, about three pounds worth of uh, of uh, ironed on patches yeah yeah no they weighed like 10 pounds that's that looks fantastic um and then uh yeah like the fact that like you did some traveling although like the europe thing probably not awesome i see a mud race that probably sucked uh and you're like sliding into a banner that's hilarious um definitely gonna make (laughs) that that photo part of the uh the promotion for this uh podcast um but uh, and for those who haven't gone through Tristan's Instagram, like there is some comedy and some really cool photos. So um, yeah, like like you got to at least go to some cool like cool places and ride some some really interesting stuff. And then uh, so like how does how do you and Bud Racing uh, split apart? I'll be, and was that at all like tied in with a, a Sinai deal? Because I, was he there by then, or did you pull him over there? Like how did the like sort of weird Washington connection that went over there? Well, Darian was riding for uh, Dixon. Okay. Uh, at that point, when I was on Bud, that and was he different. was in MX2, because mm-hmm. I was in EMX. Which that okay. was one thing. One thing that pissed me off when I showed up to Europe, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're riding the EMX 250 class," and I'm like, "What the hell? Am I an amateur again?" Yeah, you got demoted. That, 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 yeah, I got demoted. I was like, "Are you serious?" I mean, there was it was it was just Europe. When I went with Bud Racing, it was just a clusterfuck. I mean, they promised me, oh, yeah, you'll have your own apartment, your own vehicle. I show up. I'm living with my mechanic and the other teammate, and all three of us have to share one vehicle. And obviously, Welton, every time, every day, would wake up and hop in the van and drive to the shop, so I'd have to walk my ass to the shop. Um, and then there was, oh, this is my one of my favorite stories from Europe is Russia. Okay. So. You win. <laughs> well, No. <laughs> It was the traveling part. Okay. It was the fact that when the team owner made our visas between me, me and my mechanic, um, they put my face on my mechanic's visa. Oh, I've heard this story. Who told this story? And then, 
And then they uh, okay, go on. They're like, oh yeah, it'll work. So we get to Russia at customs, and I hand them my visa. Well, sorry, his visa with my face on it. And they look at me, and then they look at him, and they're like, you two, come here. And I'm like, oh, fuck. They this pull is Russia. Back, you like, don't do this. Is... Yeah. No, they're like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, look, man, we just got a mixed-up situation here. And they're like, well, you guys need to make new visas right now. So we had to sit in the airport for eight hours. We filled it out. We had to wait for them to print us off visas. Luckily enough, they you know they let us they they printed us off new visas, but it was like oh my god, this is ridiculous. I mean, like how do you fuck that up? How? I don't know. That's I I, I what I'm actually more amazed is that it didn't work. That like yeah. <laughs> that like I don't know like it just like Russia seems like such I, I, a like I'm, you could just, like I feel like, like you probably could have just been like fuck you, this is Russia, and they'd be like yeah, he's he's right, this is fucking <laughs> Russia. Like, <laughs> you just drop the name yeah, of like a was... like a, a a famous uh Russian hockey player and they just let you in. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there was there there was tons of other stuff on top of that. Oh, there was there was the fact that they told me that I didn't need a visa to live in France for a year. Ah. Oh, and weird. When I get back, so I'm flying back from St. Jean d'Angli. And uh, I get back to France. Me, Marshall, and my mechanic walk through customs, and they pull us aside and say, how come you don't have visas? So then the team owner somehow talked them out of kicking us out of Europe. I don't know how he did it, but he managed it. Interesting. And they gave us, like, three-month partial visas or whatever the hell. But it was like he told us we didn't need visas to live in Europe for a month. I mean, in you know France for a year. I was like, I was like, how how do you fuck all this up? I just yeah, yeah it was, like, it was, just a it was not they. It didn't sound like they dotted their eyes uh, or crossed their t's in any way. So th- I'm not terribly surprised, uh, but it is disappointing, <laughs> and uh, especially when they're uh, they have your uh, your your professional career in the balance. So, um, do you, do you come back to the U S before, uh, basically telling those guys to kick rocks? Uh, and then eventually you sign with a Yamaha team for a short bit. Like, how does that work? Um, so before the last race, which is the picture that you saw me rolling down the hill, hitting a banner with my body, um, Mm. before that last race, I flew to the Netherlands and there was a test for Yamaha there were six riders that showed up whoever was the fastest got the ride I got the ride no big deal that was a weird flex yeah. right there well, <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a scrimmage you know okay yeah so you, you put the boots to everybody yeah. like you, you you put like the the number 38 on somebody's bike and, and pretended they were Christian Craig so you just smashed them it was good exactly okay and that, then, how did you end up wearing number five? And is that is that like the uh, MX? Like is that MX two? No, it, it was an EMX still. That was the crappy okay. thing. So you're still <laughs> it was amateur. Still EMX. You're still. But amateur. I got fifth overall. I got fifth overall the year before in points. So ah. I just said screw it. I'm screw five. So I, I you know, kind of kept the American theme going a little bit, where you just do right. the number that you got. 
you know what yeah, place you kind of got yeah now that you're still like you're, you're like you're back to it's like back to junior hockey or something like that sort of keep making hockey <laughs> references but you're like yeah you got like went back you got sent back to the yeah. minors or something what what's with you and the like the pictures of you doing a wheelie walk like like you're 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 cat walking away from somebody that was like your favorite post to put on instagram you're like you just really like the look of you doing a catwalk away from someone catwalk away from someone i'm trying to picture what you're saying you're just like, like it's from from right behind and you're and you're at like 12 o'clock like Oh, you you did it on yeah, your on the the Yamaha oh. team. You did the exact same post uh, with the the Geico team. Like I think that's just your post. That's your like like although you don't use social media very much, you you seem to really like that that style of shot. Yeah, it's just I mean if if you put me on a dirt bike right now, I could do a slow wheelie for a mile. I mean, Fair it's enough. just I something I've always been able to do. I mean, I got on one of my buddies 250s a couple months ago you know out in the field and just did wheelies for like 30 minutes perfect um yeah you, like, that, you teach me how years. man i don't know how to do that and i i want to be able to put a post like this up or maybe i can just like i'll fly you up to canada you can put my gear on you do one of those and then because it's it's very you can't tell who's who in this and then uh yeah i can post that huh yeah well maybe <laughs> like riding schools like do you do you still ride do you like, like we've sort of like we've moved all the way to that now like or like do you want to talk about the yamaha deal and then you fuck up your knee and come home uh yamaha deal it was it was pretty much close to the same thing as bud racing um okay. blown up bikes promised living where it was really shitty um very terrible salary that was promised a lot hell of a lot better um uh-huh. didn't get paid most of it um yeah i kind of just got the shaft again and that was i blew out my knee and i was like wow i am really in a slump right now and i'm done with this shit okay so i hiked myself how badly did you to, fuck up your knee uh, it was everything uh okay everything in my knee was bye-bye Hmm. Um, so that was, that was awesome. So, you know, anything I did make from Yamaha in Europe that year, it went towards my knee. Okay. It so now you're on the hook it, it for didn't that. didn't get any better. So what? Like you're on the hook for fixing that? Like you're on the hook for all of the, um, like surgery costs. Like how, how does, how does that work? Like, like I would, I, I thought that if you have like, if you're on a team, you fuck up your knee they pay your hospital bills and they sort of help you out while you're hurt because you did no, terrible damage um, to yourself trying to perform for them. Well, so it actually happened in practice. I was uh, I was out at uh, Autobiano. I don't know if you've heard of that track. I was I out there practicing, and there's this big-ass roller before this tabletop finish line, and it was, uh, I believe it was negative two, or no, it was, it was negative two Fahrenheit? No. No, it's Celsius. I, I can't remember. Literally cold. negative two oh, Fahrenheit yeah. would have been like, that's, that's fucking stupid cold. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was just cold as all hell. I think it was, it was close to zero. It was fucking okay. cold. Mm-hmm. And the track was frozen as shit. And they're like, we're training today. And I'm like, yeah, okay. 
So I go out there, I launch off this single land, my front end slides out from underneath me. Obviously leg twists underneath the bike, bike flips over, leg twists again as the bike flips over me. So I popped it two times. And then when the, when I went to stand up, didn't realize my knee was blown out. My knee cranked itself backwards. <laughs> With those, There was these shitty ass fucking Don Joy braces that they gave me too. Those braces were junk. I had, through my whole career, from 125s until these guys, I wore the same pair of CTI braces mm-hmm. for like eight years. I wore one pair of CTI braces. I never had one knee problem. Gross. And as soon as I, and this was the first day I ever wore these new braces. Of course. That was the crappy part. Yeah. I put on new braces, blow out my knee and my career. This is actually, <laughs> this whole podcast is just an ad for CTI two knee braces. Yeah. So CTI, hell yes. Uh, Don Joy, hell no. Um, <laughs> but no, I, after after I blew out my knee, I pretty much, you know, just packed my bags and. Well, no, actually, after I blew out my knee, I went and saw four different surgeons in Italy. Each surgeon told me a different thing that was wrong with my knee. One was, okay. oh, you're just your meniscus is blown out. Oh, one was just your ACL is blown out. Oh, one is, you know, your TCL is just, just uh, sprained. And then I get back here and I go to Ting in San Francisco, and he's like, dude, everything in your knee is gone. And I'm like, what? He's like, yes, it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's disappeared. Your knee's gone. And, you know, I, I, Were you walking on this? I knee for two months. Yeah. How? I, wow. I, I have this like brace thing that I, you know, use to kind of mm-hmm. keep it sturdy. But other than that, it was shit. And wow. so I got, you know, my knee fixed by Ting. And he said, I don't know how, how good it's going to be. But, you know, try to do your physical therapy and, you know, see what you can do. And obviously I said, fuck that physical therapy. I'm not riding a dirt bike again. I mean, now I can walk just fine. You know, say if I if I rest on my knee too long, it obviously hurts. Like I'm sitting on my knees, you know, doing something. But other than that, it's, it's just fine. But, but yeah, so that, that was at that point, like you just over it. Like you're over motocross altogether. I'm not rehabbing this thing because I'm not coming back to professional motocross. Like um, that's a pretty stark contrast, man. Like to to basically be like full blown pro. Uh, I d- doesn't sound like you got uh, the royal treatment uh, by any means from uh, the FC boys, and then um, yeah, it's just like uh, basically I'm I'm over this industry. Uh, move over and like, you, you, um, do you, you do you not have a bike anymore? Obviously, you probably don't. Uh, of course, I, I probably two three years from now we see you at Loretta's. You're gonna be back. You're gonna be racing. You, you can't even deny that, but. Uh, what's, uh, like, what, what was that, like, kind of transition like for you? That sounds like it sucked. Well, yeah, I mean, just, I was, I was pretty much over racing once I was done with Geico. I just said, I'll give it a heave-ho and go to Europe and see how it is. But, but yeah, no, after I got home, it was pretty much just, I, I sat on my mom's couch for a month straight after my knee surgery. I mean, the thing was swollen and my leg was blue from my, you know, from my ankle all the way to my gooch pretty much. I mean, it was, my knee was fucked. And, uh, 
it, it took a long time to get it to where I could even bend it. You know, it took about a year to where I could get a full bend out of it. Wow. Um, and like now, if I mean, if, if I go run, you know, maybe half a mile, I mean, I, the next day, my, my knee might be locked up. Like I have days where I'll wake up in the morning and my knee won't bend for some odd reason. It's not swollen. I don't know. It's just won't bend. So I'm like hmm. lock leg all day. Long. Um, that would be difficult yeah, to race professional lacrosse with. I'd agree with that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, man, I, I, after, you know, after I pretty much just let everything go from all that and started doing my thing and I really enjoy working on these old ass rusty pieces of shit and, you know, making something out of them. You yeah, got some cool I, trucks. I, I like, for those who aren't haven't followed you, sorry to interrupt you, but like, you got some really cool trucks you've you've developed and 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 done some cool projects with. So, it it looks like you're you're pouring your uh, your energy into something that it's at least looking cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of these trucks, like I really haven't even poured any money into them. It's just all scabbed together parts that I just pick up from rusty piles of crap and throw it all together, fix it up just a little bit and get it running and go, you know? But I mean, like my work truck is a 1980 Chevy that has a 1990 Dodge Cummins in it, you know? And I got a $12,000 welding machine on the back. It's just, it's like, it doesn't make sense, but it works perfect. And the thing goes down the freeway 85 without a hop or a skip, you know? There you go. That's all you need to do, Uh, man. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, the guy has what he needs. That's pretty cool. Like uh, any, uh, like, like, do do you see yourself getting a uh, getting a dirt bike again? Like, uh, if the knee got healthy, you feel good. Uh, would you do some riding? Would you do some schools? Like, um, and what do you miss about it? Um, I'll probably never look at a dirt bike again in my life really the only one i look at is the geico bike sitting in my living room in my house obviously because it's a geico bike um i have a c i have a 97 cr 500 hidden away at my dad's shop he won't let me sell it um but you know that thing beat my ass way back when and it's been sitting ever since but uh those are the only two bikes that i own and Neither of them have oil or gas in them. Uh, And, you know, I never wanted to do training schools after I quit because if there was one thing through my whole career that I wish, you know, as I, when I was younger that, you know, even I talked to my dad about it and he said he wished he would have done it differently. He said he he wished we would have had more fun. He wished, you know, I wouldn't know what, I, I mean, we both agreed on it. I, w- I wish we never went to training facilities and I wish that we just went to the races. Didn't matter what place you got, just had a blast and, you know, just enjoyed it. Don't make it, don't make it a, a big thing. And that's one thing with like training. Like I don't want to go train little kids that are six years old and their dad's sitting over there screaming at them because they're not going fast enough when really they should just be out there having a blast, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I to- I totally agree with you, man. Um, I had a completely different experience than most when it came to motocross. Um, like I came to it late because I think what my dad noticed about me and stick and ball sports is that like 
I was a good hockey player, not a great hockey player. I was a good football player, not a great football player. And like when it came time for to find somebody to ride the pine, it was usually me other than in football. I was good at that. Fuck off. Um, but like he saw motocross to be a sport where no matter how bad I am, no one's ever going to say, Hey, you can't race or like, you know what I mean? Like the gate drops for everybody, especially like say if like the 250B class, you can be a 250B class rider. And I have been since I was 14 years old. And if that's the, and that's likely the class that I would line up for, uh, if there wasn't the plus 25 class, um, it's just, you can stay there forever. And I, I know so many kids that grew up racing and they were, they, those guys would put a lap on me, no problem. Uh, and, but, it, and if they didn't, they did hear it, get an earful from my, from their dad. My old man was always like, like he, I'd go up for the, to the race and be like, yeah, keep it on two wheels. And I often wouldn't. Uh, and if I, and when I didn't, he'd be like, oh, oh, well, did you have fun? Yep. All right. So let's come back tomorrow. And like the, and I still do it. Like I, like. I've outlasted so many of my friends that I raced with because they got burnt out of it. They didn't have any fun. They, the fun got pulled out of it. This, that, and everything. Like it was all about winning or it was all about like you had to be fast. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think I've found a little bit of success in, in mediocrity when it came to motocross because, uh, yeah, I can't wheelie. Uh, you don't want to see me try and whip a motorcycle. Uh, but I still do it. Yeah, well, I mean that's the that's the thing that counts the most on, on in motocross or riding a dirt bike. It's just having a, having a blast, man. That's yeah. that's one thing I didn't get to enjoy. You know, the last few years of racing that I was in is I I didn't have any fun. It was just go out and ride and see how you do and see who's gonna yell at you when you get off the fucking track. You know. But the chicks. So, oh yeah, but the chicks. I mean, how how can I forget that, right? Right, like like chicks in Europe, any decent? No. Um, they're pretty smoking. Yeah, smoke everywhere. Yeah, they're they're a hell of a lot different than an American woman. Fair enough. A little they bit more forward. They definitely not treat a man. I'll tell you that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Like this has been uh, this has been an amazing interview, uh, and that's why I like uh, st- st- keep you along here. We didn't even get into the verb shit. Like you, like let's talk about the like like. Okay, tell me your best uh, West Williams story, uh, and what's with you and oysters? I just I like oysters. Oysters are good, and they're good protein too. If you didn't weird. know that, um, I'm sure they're good but, protein. Uh, it's just weird. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, they're slimy gross tasting well to me they're, they're pretty good but anyway okay. no i just i i the, me and you know i i've obviously known wes since i was really young you know seen him running around the track with his camera and doing all the stuff he does and always having you know funny ass videos at times and you know he'll come up to you and just say something weird with his camera you're like what do i fucking say back you know um but no when he when he when he wanted me to go out and do that thing for war machines you know I was like, yeah, sure, I'm not really prepared for it, but, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I just hopped in my truck, loaded the bike up, and I said, yeah, I got a place. And we went out to that sand track down by Panama City in Florida. And, uh, yeah, no, that, that place was that place was a good time. Um, he, he Wes loved that track when we went there. He was like, this place is fucking badass. 
Yeah, you hit that uh, really scary uh, ramp jump that was like 13 feet. Um, yeah, like three feet of air that time. Yeah, it was like, and you the the best you come back and you're just like one hand in the air, like check me out. That was probably that's one of the most memorable parts of that video. For those who don't have War Machines, you can go to Verb Moto and buy one, uh, or I think it's probably available on YouTube somewhere. You could steal it. You could get it for free. Uh, that's how the motocross industry works. Um, uh, but uh, like, yeah, working with Wes. Like, did you work with him in any, any other capacity, or was it that specific? Uh, was it like, was it? Do I think you worked with him more than you did? I I don't think. I mean, if if I can't remember it, I don't think we ever worked together anything other any other time than that. Fair enough. I mean, obviously, other around, but I think the only time that we ever filmed anything was just for that movie fair enough well he's got a lot, of, a lot of affection for you given the fact that you guys didn't hang out for very long um but uh and then orange juice in a uh in a mug that has a shot like a, a gun barrel or a handle on it different that's a very different way to uh, drink orange juice um why orange juice when you're racing dirt bikes like that sounds probably like the worst thing you could possibly drink other than actually a monster <laughs> well, I mean, you probably like actually you're one of the guys who actually my, actually my, drank my, my monsters head. on a team that was sponsored by Monster. Yeah, not I, just I was tour the, water. Yeah, I was the guy who drank the monsters. Everybody else was like, "Oh yeah, I got a tour water." I'm like, "Give me a monster, dude! Come on, give me it!" You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. One thing that it was always a thing. I didn't care what I ate or drank. I mean, the night before Hangtown, I went to Johnny Rockets and had this big ass mushroom swiss burger oh god that thing was awesome and then the the next morning marshak's like oh i heard you had a giant burger last night for dinner i'm like yep and then i got sick yeah i'm gonna go really fast watch this like yeah i don't know people try, i think people try and unpack or like they try to uh make motocross racing too much of a science like at that level uh if you had a burger before like I don't know. It's at that level. It's more about twisting the throttle than anything else. Uh, when it comes yeah. to your first race and stuff like that, like you having a burger the night before your first race does not derail anything. And it certainly doesn't make anything better. So I don't know. Um, but uh, like so many questions for you. And, and this has been fantastic. Thank you for being so open, honest, candid, everything else in between uh, with this. This has been fantastic. I hope it like I'm, I hope you're not going to text me in like an hour from now and be like, cut out all that stuff that I said about being like no, all the I, mean things that I said about this, that, and everything. Nope. Let it all out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Just, it is a, I feel like this is very cleansing for you, so that's good. Um, yeah, it is. That's cool. Um, like... As far I don't want to like, like just like just get into like kill stories because like hockey players could get into that for days. Uh, but like who uh, who out of your teammates had like no no game with women at all? Chase Sexton. Sexton. <laughs> Sexton yesterday on his 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 uh, Snapchat was literally um, in a tractor. He was in a tractor. I'm like, what? Why days. are you in a tractor? <laughs> Why was he in a tractor? I don't know. I mean, his girlfriend left him for McAdoo. 
Yeah, and and he's not a, he's McAdoo's not a a good looking man, so that really says something. <laughs> um, like he he right he like yeah I I don't know like. That is, I I would love to get the the end of that story. And of course, uh, Cooper just married uh, Kenny's ex. Yeah. On the weekend. Yeah, they got their little, their little. Kenny and him got their little, you know, rivalry thing between their exes. Bullshit. Interesting, interesting, interesting. They got to take you out. Let me just break What's my that? hand on your fucking swing arm. <laughs> oh my god. Um. But yeah, so I assume Sexton probably had had zero game. Uh, probably a little bit more now as it goes goes on. He's uh, a little bit more status. Although um, maybe you'd agree with this, like, like is Chase Sexton, like in your opinion, maybe is like I'll just throw you my opinion. The the fact that he won a championship because Forkner fucked up, and then the. The two coasts this year, like the East Coast, was much less deep, and uh, and Shane sort of like threw that one away, uh, and then Hampshire didn't show up for Salt Lake, so he's gone. Um, like I feel like, and then like I've probably never to say this to his face because I'm a total gutless piece of shit, but like Sexton sort of walked into two championships on a 250, and. I'm kind of holding my breath whether or not he's able to produce on a 450. Like, obviously, he just won his last 450 outdoor. But that I, – I sort of – the first race of the year and the last race of the year, I I don't hold a lot of – like, I, I, I like they don't hold as much weight to me because, like, guys check out. Guys don't give a fuck. Like, it's like uh, Henry won the last Supercross one year on a four-stroke. No one cared. Um when Antoinette or uh, Albertine and Tortelli won the first Supercross one year at uh, it was it was the LA Coliseum, like no one cared though that time either. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Has has okay. Chase Sexton come to like a, a level of like that? He's like risen to like this level that he might not have earned yet. If that makes sense. Well, I mean, obviously, we all know Chase is a good rider. I mean, it's not yes. like he's just some squid out there that got lucky, right? Right, right, right. I mean, he's he's a good. Obviously, this is kind of a Justin Bogle situation where everybody crashes out, and you know, and he wins, right? Yeah. But again, he earned it. In any case, I'm not mm-hmm. going to take that away from the kid. He he did a good job. Um, he I guess he just stayed healthy when everybody else didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Which um, is key. You have to do that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's just how it goes sometimes, man. I see that way too much. I mean, there's there's you know you think oh yeah, look how fucking fast Fortner is, you know, the first race out of the season, and then obviously everybody knows that he's gonna crash out at least two races to go. I mean, it's just how it goes every single time. So let me, yeah, he needs to get off social media. He needs to just do something. <laughs> he needs to get off of social media. He, like he needs to. Uh, I had the blog. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> probably similar to the uh, to the the Craig situation for me. Um, yep. I just like I, I find it like it's hilarious, like his the, the way he approaches it, and then like yeah, getting engaged as he's like twenty years old. Like, don't do that. 
do a lot of things as a professional motocross racer, but don't get engaged to a monster girl when you're 21. 20? Hey, you want to know something funny? Mm, you got engaged? I engaged to the hottest little Polish piece of ass when I was in Europe. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. She was that hot. Is that like you guys are just like spoken, complete no doubt, slaves but, but, to but, vagina? But, <laughs> well, I mean, she was smoking, no doubt about that. But when I blew out my knee and I knew I was heading back to America, I definitely wasn't bringing her with me. So I ended that. Fair <laughs> enough. Kinda, you were just so in love. I had no idea so. Tristan Charbonneau, the the romantic. Oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, well, I guess you've both have learned a little something here. I think we all learned something here. Um, but that's wild, dude. Like, yeah, don't, 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 don't do that. Like if I've said this a million times on tailgates, if I was pro, like, a professional motocross racer, I am unavailable. I'm like available, but like, I'm not like, you couldn't pay me to, to settle down during that time. Yeah. No, no, it's too much fun. It wasn't like, enough. Just, like just scroll, like stroll into every town, throw out the Instagram with a little fishing emoji. Like, yeah, easy, easy. Yeah, print off extra room keys before you go to the dealer signing. Has anyone ever done that? Have you no, ever, or has that. any of your teammates ever picked up a girl at a dealer signing? Um, you know, none of them ever did just because every single one of the guys on the Geico team was hitched in some way or another by Lame. some chick. Hmm. I mean, the whole, I mean, you think about art, like Hampshire, his whole career, he, he's been with Ashley, you know? Fair and enough. He, yeah. That's and true. then at Jordan, Jordan with whole, his whole career, he's been with uh, what's your face, you know, they've all, they've all been hitched to, you know, some chick since they, you know, went pro. So they never really got to experience, you know, the, the fun of, saying hey i ride for this team and then the panty drop you know fair enough fair enough so you were just taking all taking advantage of that fairly well, I mean, or when, unfairly. You're, when you're a young kid and you want to have a blast you go for it fair enough fair enough um but like, like how old are you now i will be 23 uh at the beginning of the year fair enough so you're approaching uh drinking age as a pro two years ago, like any, was like, is there any, un, was there, was there any underage drinking in your program as a FC rider? You can answer that or not answer that. I don't care. I actually never really drink. Okay. I, I don't drink. I will say this is actually one thing that I left out to you. Okay. Throughout my whole Amsoil Geico career, I was a fanatic tobacco chewer. I mean, like, if I didn't like worse have a chew than in, Josh Grant, who has a dip in every time that I talk to him. Pretty much, yeah, I was pretty much Josh Grant. Okay. Yeah. So While riding with a dip? With the Mountain Dew. Okay. Including, yeah, like, like even when you're riding, I know guys that like they ride with it, and like that's gross. Yeah, I won, I won that moto in Russia with a chew in. It's amazing. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, that was that was 
one one of my things is I start I started chewing back when I was at GPF and I never quit. Okay. I actually just got it, was able to quit last year. Okay, fair enough. And I I can tell the way though by the way you're talking about it, you're probably on Amazon looking for a log right now. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, all seriousness, like it, it, like technically, it is a vasodilator, so it's not really performance enhancing, but it kind of would be um, give you a little bit of a head rush when you need it. Um, interesting yeah. that like, and is that fairly common among moto guys? Like, I noticed, like, I don't know, like moto guys don't seem to drink a ton. Probably a few of them smoke weed, but yeah, there's a decent bit that smoke weed. But well, like the guys that chewed a lot, like uh, AP, you know, he he used to chew a shitload back in amateurs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple other guys, you know, hmm. and then there was the, the shit ton of weed smokers, you know. They'd be yeah. walking around wearing their Yamaha jacket. And they'd be like, "Hey man, I got a pound of weed in here." I'm like, "Holy shit, dude, put that away!" <laughs> a pound of weed in a Yamaha jacket. I can only imagine who that might be. <laughs> um. And like it, it, you guys could carry around a pound of weed because you're all skinny aff. Like, <laughs> literally, like I, I always, it blows my mind how skinny some of these. Like, you, you guys go stupid fast. Like your rookie season, you're like 130 pounds. You don't even fill out your the pant legs whatsoever. Um, yeah. But you go faster than anybody on like more than faster than I'll ever go. But, uh, yeah, it's wild, man. And this has been a really cool conversation. I, I think uh, this was eye-opening for both of us. Anyone who takes the time to listen to this is going to, like, this is a really, really interesting interview. Like, you, you were very honest about some things that some people will not talk about, which is fucking cool. Um, I'm going to try and get this out to as many people as possible. I always try and get it out to as many people on my podcast. But, like, this one... This is this is very exclusive, uh, and I appreciate you giving me uh, all the info that you did tonight. This has been cool, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's no issue with me. I mean, I'm sure I'll get a couple of text messages from a couple of guys saying, oh, what are you talking shit about me? I'll be like, well, it's the truth. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, oh. hmm, interesting. What are you going to do, take me out on the track? <laughs> yeah, you're going to come all the way up to Washington? Yeah, come beat my ass. Yeah, they're they're gonna take some take some time out when they if they ever go to Seattle or Washougal ever again. Yeah, well, I I think I'm definitely a hell of a lot stronger now than I am when I rode a dirt bike. Fair enough. Then you can weld yourself a pair of brass knuckles. Um, <laughs> Tristan Charbonneau here on the Big MX Radio podcast, uh, brought to you by Medterra CBD. Uh, as well as Verb Moto. Shout out to Verb and Wes, and he's awesome. He's going to be on the show later on this week. I really appreciate you making some time for me, man. Uh, I think you might be a repeat offender at some point. Um, if maybe nothing else, then just to like sub in as a co-host for a race review. Like I don't know if you watch the races, but I think you'd have a unique perspective. Um, if you'd come on again or, or just randomly, like I like completely unbeknownst to you, I just like call cold call you when I have 10 more questions that, uh, that are, have just been bugging me, uh, in the shower or something. Yeah. Feel, feel free. All right. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been really cool. Uh, I hope people uh, patronize your uh, your welding business. Uh, if, if they're in the area and they're listening, um, do you want to do you want to shout that out or, or uh, like 
I, I can't guarantee you a lot of sales, but if you want to shout that out, go ahead. Oh, it's no worries. I got too many customers right now, man, but I Perfect. appreciate it. Perfect. That, that's fine if you're lying. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, this has been fun. So uh, you have a great rest of your day. Uh, I'm going to get to uh, some other emails I got to take care of and stuff, but uh, appreciate the time, my friend. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, let's cut it off right there all right everybody there you have it uh our podcast we did with tristan charbonneau he's very candid uh very honest with his uh his take or his interpretation uh of uh his pro career um really amazing to see uh how um his career came together and uh, unfortunately didn't last uh, as long as a lot of people would have predicted it did uh tons of speed tons of talent uh he admits that he maybe didn't work as hard as he probably could have or should have uh and for that reason it didn't last very long but uh we got some memories from the guy he had tons of style and uh I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we have have him on he was uh uh, a great guy and uh, just a great interview. Really, really honest, and uh, I have tons of respect for uh, someone who's uh, willing to step back and, and look at uh, sort of how the career went and uh, unpack a few things. So I hope that you guys got a nice uh, look behind the curtain a little bit uh, of what um, these guys go through and the, the realities of, of being a pro motocross racer, the the pressures of being a young athlete in the sport coming through, uh, whether there be uh, a lot of supervision or and a lot of guidance, or or in Tristan's case, doesn't sound like there there really was a ton. Um, um, but he also he also said he had the time of his life, so uh, I can take that for what it is. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the, the podcast. I hope you guys enjoy these interviews. We've got more coming down the pipe uh, in the weeks and months that come. And uh, yeah, we're in uh, full red alert uh, lockdown here in Manitoba, so lots of time to do podcasts. So uh, I got some ideas for some as well. So continue listening. If you have any requests or something you'd like to hear on the Big MX Radio podcast, go check it out. And uh, of course, uh, continue to support my sponsors like Custom Upfits as well as Medterra CBD, where you can go to medterracbd.com and enter discount code Big MX Radio twenty. It's a new code. Big MX Radio 20 saves you an additional 5% than the old code. The old code was Big MX Radio 15, saved you 15%. Now, Big MX Radio 20 saves you 20% off of every single purchase that you make at medterracbd.com. Go check it out. Thanks for listening, guys.